Have you ever faced something so difficult, so heartbreaking, that it's caused you to question God's goodness, question God's presence, question God's love? I mean, we've all faced things that have kept us up at night. We've all faced things that just messed with us so much, it just sends us kind of spiraling out of control, and at least in our hearts and our minds, and sometimes in our lives. Psalm 77 is a song that's written in response to intense heartache and loss. Just about every question you could throw at God is brought up in this psalm. But the psalm doesn't stop there. The honesty of Psalm 77 is very refreshing, and the conclusion is life-giving. So let's check it out. Psalm 77. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is a beautiful example of why so many people love the Psalms. It's raw. It's brutally honest. It invites us into the thoughts and struggles of the psalmist. And what the psalmist is experiencing in life and what he believes about God, they're in conflict with each other. I mean, he's tempted to believe, at least at first in this song, he's tempted to believe that God has changed. Are you facing a trial? Maybe it's more than a trial. Maybe it's a devastating tragedy, talking heartbreak, like a death. Maybe it is a death. Calamity, a situation that's rattled you to the core. Are you experiencing that right now? Are you in that? If you're not, you you know what it feels like to be in that because you have experienced it. And if you're not, one day we all will experience something like that again. There's two things here 
I want us to see, one, the psalmist's experience, his experience, and two, his appeal. First, let's look at his experience. This is a lament. There are various genres within this songbook we call the Psalms. And this genre is one of lament. A lament is a cry of desperation. It's a passionate expression of grief and sorrow. It probably would have been written in a minor key. Many think the backdrop was was the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians in 586 BC. This was an act of judgment against uh, Israel for their disobedience and idolatry. And eventually it led to their exile into Babylon. Now the big question, this was a horrific event. And if this is the case, if the psalmist had witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem, I I want you to put yourself in his shoes. I want you to think about the horror, the grief of what he was witnessing. The big question is this. If what I know about God is true, then why on earth has or is this happening? If what I know about God is true, God, if you're faithful, if you're loving, if you're just, why is this happening? And so the psalmist not only saw something, but also personally experienced something, and it provoked him to pray. He was desperate for the Lord to hear and to act on his behalf. His soul refused to be comforted. He couldn't comfort himself, and there was no one in his life who could bring comfort to him, so he cries out to the Lord. He says in verse 2, at night I stretched out untiring hands to God. Here's a posture of prayer to the Lord. And even though the psalmist found no comfort, he found no rest, no relief from the bitterness of his grief, he continued to stretch out his hands to God. And there's a lesson in that for us. He says, when I was in distress, I sought the Lord. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. The temptation is for us to retreat. The temptation might be for us to keep to ourselves, to wallow in that place of darkness and despair, that place of distress. Maybe to try to escape it by giving ourselves to other things like entertainment or friends or work or relationships or alcohol or sex or anything to escape, anything to cope, anything to forget what we're facing. But he says, when I was in distress... I sought the Lord. Now, it got to the point that he wondered whether God had rejected him uh, and his people forever. Have you ever just stared into the dark at night and thoughts and questions just swirling, rushing around in your mind like a flood, just wishing that you could ignore those thoughts, wishing that you could put those relentless voices to rest, but you can't. You're wishing you could fall asleep. You're wishing that you could forget. You ever find yourself in a place like that on the edge of despair? I have. That's where he is. This is for everyone who has ever known the all-encompassing pressure, the heaviness of depression. This is for everyone who would admit that the pain is so great, you're tempted to believe the cynicism. That cynicism that's been defining you for too long, you're tempted to believe it. I'm thankful for the honesty of Psalm 77. I'm thankful for the straightforwardness of the psalmist. What do we have here? Doubt, fear, courage, faith, all of it just mixed up into this one song. He is experiencing a painful depression. It's painful. 
the feeling that God is absent in this situation, it leads him to consider the past when God's love and his protection was more evident. So in verse 3, he says uh, that he remembered God. Well, when he remembered God, what happened? It says he groaned. He groaned. It says he meditated or he mused. What happened then? He grew faint. His memories were more tormenting than comforting. Why? Because it seemed that God's promises had come to an end. That's all the psalmist could see at this point. Verse 4, you, who's he talking about? God. God, you kept my eyes from closing. He was marked by symptoms of sleeplessness and confusion. He says, I was too troubled to speak. Verses 5 and 6, he says, I I thought about the former days. I I remembered my songs in the night. His songs, his songs become this reminder of what once was, of God's past faithfulness. It wasn't always like this is what he's saying. It wasn't always this way. They were kind reminders of God's character. He's trying to hold on to what he remembered of God. It's hard. That's why we sing. One of the reasons why we sing. These songs become little sermons we carry with us. Little prayers. Ones that we can call back to mind. They teach us something about God's character. Ones that we can lean on and look to in the midst of the darkness. I've been in some situations before where all we could do was look to a song. I remember, I didn't, Mary, I didn't know you were going to be here. Uh, I remember when Bill was passing away, Mary's husband. I was going me- to mention this. Didn't know you were going to be here. It's so good to see you. And I remember uh, Bill and I having conversation. Uh, he was experiencing regret, and you know what we did? We sang. I, he couldn't sing. I sang. What did I sing? Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. great high priest years later I'm standing in a room filled with people I love and someone in their family is passing away the whole room in this hospital is packed with people and someone looks to me and says Darren lead us in a song I said I will try I couldn't get two words out without crying but the whole room picked it up after me I remembered my songs in the night. They become a reminder of what is true. They remind him of God's character and the questions that he asks in verses 7 through 9 revolve around God's character. Why? Well, because if God is not today what he once was, then we're lost. We're done for. 
if God has changed, if he's not the same today as he was yesterday, come on. Let's just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. What are we doing here? Well, what I love here is that he asks these honest questions. And, and, and really, it's important for you to know, I haven't, I haven't given a psalm away more than this psalm. When people are sitting in front of me, going through tragic circumstances. This is the psalm I turn to. Because they have all these questions swirling around in their heads and hearts. And they, they're afraid to bring, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to bring the questions that God already knows anyway to God. That's what the psalmist does. These are troubling questions that he asks in verses 7 through 9. But they're troubling times. And he brings these troubling questions before God because he's in the midst of troubling times. I want you to hear these questions again. You wonder, can anyone say that? I mean, I can't believe this is in the Bible. Yes. Look at verse 7. Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promises failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Ah, he covered it. What is this really about? How can a holy and a loving God who made promises to a particular people allow this to happen? The concern from the start is the psalmist wants God to break into this crazy mess and intervene. Say something, God. Do something, God. Is God going to remain faithful and true to his character? That's the question. And it doesn't offend God when his troubled children bring him troubling questions with a sincere interest at hearing an honest answer. It doesn't trouble God. Let's bring him our questions. Do you feel like you've fallen out of favor with God? Do you believe that his unfailing love has come to a screeching halt? But could it? Could steadfast, unfailing love stop? Maybe you think God's angry with you, that he's withholding some kind of, uh, he's withholding his blessing. He's withholding something that you'd be better off having, but he's, he's, he's keeping it from you. Where are your thoughts taking you? Are you afraid God is out to get you? Do you live under this? Do you live under this condemnation of this fear? Questions like, have I, have I spoiled God's perfect plan for my life? Or can God still use me? Or would he even want to use me? Or is he punishing me for the past? All these questions could come just into our minds and into our heart. They're haunting questions and they plague us. This lament, it reaches its highest point though in verse 10. Where some translations have it this way. This is my grief. This is my piercing wound. This is my incurable wound or affliction. This is my trouble. What is? He's making an appeal to what? The years of the right hand of the Most High. That's what he's doing. Are you tempted to believe that God has changed? When we're in this place of depression and darkness, we can be tempted to make conclusions about a number of things. 
We could be tempted in the midst of depression and darkness and calamity to make conclusions about our spiritual state, about the state of the church at large, or about the character of God. You ever been there? You're feeling just messed up. You're, you're, you're just, you're sad, you're depressed. It's dark. You start making conclusions. It's, it's a dangerous place to be. Because depression or feelings of hopelessness and suspicion of God often go together. I just, I want you to know that for the future. Because you and I will experience times of depression and hopelessness. And we will be tempted to be suspicious towards God, to, to, to really write him off or to wonder whether or not he's been faithful. Ultimately, what matters, though, is where the psalmist goes next. Let's see, where does he go next? Let's read it again in verse 10. Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. We'll pause there. What's going on here? The right hand, he's appealing to the right hand of the Lord, which is an expression of his power for the sake of his people. The right hand of God. He's making an appeal. He's experiencing a deep depression. That's his experience, but he's coming out of it because he's decided to make an appeal. He's decided to remember something about God. Verses 11 and 12, he's answering his questions about God's faithfulness by calling to mind God's victory over Egypt. Do you remember this story? Israel had been enslaved over 400 and some odd years to Egypt. And God faithfully delivers the children of Israel from Egyptian bondage and slavery. He's remembering God's victory. He's appealing to that. It's a defining story for uh, the people of Israel. That story is actually the psalmist's story. He gets into it later in the psalm. It's his story. He owns that story. You would think the psalmist was there. He wasn't there. But he, he reflects on God's faithfulness so much so you think it's his testimony. Because it is. It's his story. It's where his roots are running. I mean, he comes out of that. The people of Israel come out of that, so he's looking back at God's faithfulness. This is very good for him, and it's good for us. That story was his story. That story is our story. For those who, by faith, look to Jesus, God's faithful deliverance, uh, uh, you know, through Israel and throughout history, that's our story. He says, this is my experience, essentially, but this is what I know is true of God. So where do you look when life feels like it feels like it's falling apart? Where do you look? Where do you go with your questions? Where do you go with your fears? It's not if, but when we find ourselves facing or experiencing something tragic uh, that causes us to question God's goodness, question his love. And so we need to have truth to run to and to stand on, to fall on, an arsenal of history, of God's faithfulness to answer back. So how can we look at the darkest moments of life right in the face not accuse God of wrongdoing. 
How can we, in the midst of crisis and disappointment and disaster, in the face of death itself, how can we walk unafraid and rest in God? God's story, it anchored the psalmist to something bigger than himself. Verses 13 through 15, the focus is on who God is. He's leaning on his character. He recognizes God's holiness. Oh, he's holy. He's without sin. He's perfect in every way. He recognizes what God has done, his intervention, his rescue, his action. And then it starts to get really loud. Verses 16 and on. It starts to get really loud and very poetic. It says, the water saw you, God. The water saw you and they writhed. They were afraid. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows, they flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Oh, the unforgettable events of the Red Sea just fire up the psalmist. He remembers one of the most celebrated events of Israel's history. It was a story that defined them as a people. And he says, that is my story. That is what I'm falling on. That's my arsenal. In a way that only a songwriter could with serious With serious literary skill and poetic imagery, he captures the scene. He gets our attention, doesn't he? It's beautiful. The waters aren't only in turmoil. They see God. The waters of the sea, they see God, and they're afraid. They writhed. The psalmist refused to accept the story of God's delivering power that had ended with Moses, and so he cried out to God, And we know, church, we know the story of God's faithfulness and his deliverance. It didn't end with Moses in the Red Sea. And it didn't end with Psalm 77. God intervened. Let me tell you, this story of Israel's deliverance is a shadow of things that would come in Jesus who brought us through the dark sea of sin, shame, and death. And today we look back to that day, the day of deliverance through the cross. We look back to that day and we say in our own troubles, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the despair, we say the God who has delivered us from death through Jesus, he lives and he acts. He's not indifferent. The story hasn't stopped. I can never be separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus, not by trouble, not by hardship, not by persecution, and not by death. Because you sent your son, I know what? You fill in the blank. Because you sent your son, I, I, know, I know what? I know you will never leave me or forsake me. I know that he is my righteousness. I, I know that you love me. And when I'm tempted to think you don't, I know because you sent your son, I, I know you love me. And you're full of grace. You've provided a way for me to be reconciled to you. What does that say about you? You're personal. You're active. You're involved. You care. You've never compromised your holiness, but you've brought deliverance and you've punished my sin and given me a righteousness that isn't my own. When what we're experiencing in life 
and what we believe about God seem to be in conflict with each other. When we're tempted to believe that God has changed and we will be tempted, where do we go? Where will we go? The cross of Christ, what Jesus accomplished in his life, in his death on the cross, and in his resurrection was never meant to be just some, something we believe to enter Christianity. It's meant to be something that defines us. That it's at the center of who we are as a people. We want to celebrate the good news of Jesus. We want to celebrate his life, death, and resurrection. That's why we partake in communion. We're remembering. We're proclaiming. Your death is sufficient. I don't need to add anything to it. You've done it all. I stand in your righteousness, your rightness, your perfect obedience on my behalf by faith. There's a story in the Gospel of Mark. I just love it. I, I, usually, um, I usually preach it when I'm at a, a funeral or memorial service. We, we talk about the disciples getting in the boat as they're crossing the lake. And uh, they're crossing the lake. And Jesus said, we're going to the other side. And so he falls asleep in the boat. And this great storm comes. And the waters are splashing over the boat. And, and the disciples are scared for their lives. And they, they wake up Jesus. And they say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? That's what they say to him. And Jesus he gets up, maybe he stretches a little bit and yawns. He speaks to the wind and the waves, quiet, be still. It wasn't only the winds and the waves that were quiet in that moment. See, the wind and the waves had heard the voice that created them, and they were silent. But in that moment, the disciples' hearts were quieted as well. They realized, okay, the one that we're doubting, the one that we're questioning whether or not we'll drown, the one who's with us has the power to silence the waves. Jesus was in the boat. Jesus had taken on flesh, the stuff we're made of, because he loved them and he loves us. Does he care if we drown? Absolutely. Sandra McCracken is a songwriter. We sing some of her songs, and she has a song that says this, Raise your hands to still the storms that rage inside my head. Revive my heart with gratitude. Love, calm my doubt and dread. I love that. Raise your hands to still the storms that rage inside my head. Revive my heart with gratitude. Love, calm my doubt and dread. I need that. I need Jesus to calm the storms that are raging inside my head and heart again and again and again. I need him to revive my heart with gratitude. That's why we sing. It's why we gather. Revive my heart with gratitude, love. Calm my doubt and dread. Calm it. Give me perspective. Remembering what God has done for us in Jesus is like medicine to a debilitating disease. It brings life brings hope, brings joy, because that story is our story. What Jesus did for us on the cross is our story. And in the same way the psalmist delighted in the deliverance of the children of Israel through the Red Sea, in the same way he leaned on that with everything in him, we are leaning on Jesus. It's our story. Is it? Is it your story? Is it your story?
Is it the story in which you find hope and rest? I pray that it is. And if it's not, look to Jesus today. You say, what do I do? You express your dependency. You express that you, you are not your own savior. You recognize his grace, his love. You recognize your sin and you, you say, Jesus, save me from myself. Save me from the end result of living for myself. I look to you. That's the starting place. Finally, we look at verses 19 and 20. And we see provision, protection. We see guidance. Oh, we see God's presence. It's so sweet. Your path led through the sea. Right through the sea. Oh, wow. Your way through the mighty waters. Though your footprints were not seen. I love that line. Couldn't see your footprints, God. Couldn't see them. But you led us. And you know how you did it? You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. God chose to use Moses and Aaron. He used them to express his provision and his presence and his guidance and his grace. Listen, we are left staring at one of the greatest chapters in God's story of redemption, how he delivered Israel. But church, we have been defined by the greatest chapter, by the story of the cross. And I want you to, with everything in you, remember that this is, our, this is what we have when we're facing the darkness, when we're facing the fears and the doubts and the anxieties and we're depressed and we don't know where to look and we're staring into the dark at night and we're spiraling out of control and we're wondering, God, do you love me? Do you care? Yes, God loves you. Yes, he cares. He took on the stuff you and I are made of. Don't forget it. He became flesh and blood and bones and lived that perfect life for us. In the face of death, we can hold on to the reality of who, who God is in Jesus and what he's done for us. It's part of a big story that answers the prayers of a troubled heart. Do you have... Do you have a firm grasp of that story that will answer the prayer of your troubled heart? I want you to. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Psalm 77. What we've learned here about the psalmist's experience and his appeal. Uh, But Lord, mostly, Lord, what we've learned about you in the midst of darkness, in the midst of despair, in the midst of depression, in the midst of anxieties, in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of chaos, you're present. Even when we don't feel or sense, uh, Lord, thank you that we can come with all our questions. We can come with all of our fears, but that we can also make appeals to what we know is true of you, that we can lean on this great story of redemption in Jesus and find hope and rest. And I pray, God, that we as a church would do this and that we would help our friends do this when they're facing darkness, that we wouldn't dismiss people and just say, oh, look to Jesus and be done with it, but that we'd come alongside our friends in their despair, in their darkness, and gently and courageously lead them to Jesus again. Father, we're trusting you. Help us, Lord, as a community to be equipped to face darkness. In Jesus' name, amen.